Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we've reached number three in the series of going full-time in property and we're going to sort of change direction slightly because the first couple of weeks, if you like, were centred around a couple of people, my guests, who um, effectively were investors who treated their investing activity as a business And perhaps over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some people who treated their their overall experience as a business, which including investing. So there's a subtle difference, if you like, in emphasis with the first two guests and the next two guests. Today, I'm joined by Rupal Patel, who describes herself as a non-planner's planner or followed a non-planner's plan. And she's a multi-passionate person. And I think when you actually listen to her, or even if you watch her, when I'm going to share the discussion we had on YouTube, you'll see that she's very passionate and she's full of energy and infectious, really. That's a kind of phrase, perhaps not the right one at this time. But yeah, she's um, you know very, very listenable too. So I hope you, you get a lot out of this. I'm not going to set it up any, much, uh, any longer. I'm just going to cue it in and maybe I'll just wrap up with a, a couple of key points once you've listened to the discussion we just had. So here we go, the discussion with RuPaul right now. Hi, RuPaul. How are you? Hey, Richard. Good afternoon. I'm very, very, very well. How are you? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. You're looking good. Um, you're looking good there and all fresh and everything. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, we, we describe ourselves as property buddies, don't we? So, um, Indeed. So hopefully we'll have a good buddy chat. But um, this, this is part of our um, Going Full-Time in Property series for the podcast, which will also be a video, uh, hence where you can see us. But um, what I wanted to do is really just, you know, it's kind of sort of profiling people that um, I call everyday people. And I don't mean you know, you're not an everyday, you are, you are an everyday person, but you're a very special everyday person uh, because of what you've achieved. But I think it's a case of, as we maybe explain or, or go through your story and how your journey in property, perhaps before property is also relevant, um, mm. you know, just to sort of share that with our audience and just give a bit of uh, an insight so people can really say, well, maybe that's a path I could follow or maybe I could learn some things from that. So that's, cool. the, that's the objective. Um, but it's less about me, it's more about you. So I guess maybe if you could, could you just walk us through Rupal before property and just however that is, you know, you don't have to go from birth, you know, <laughs> just, just walk us through a little bit. So we've got context and a background about who you are and people can visualize that. Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, sort of the general theme of my life seems to be that I have always been on sort of a non-plan plan. So uh, by that, I mean, I've never really until very recently in life, actually sat down and thought, okay, five years from now, this is where I want to be. 10 years, this is where I want to be. And so I've always just been the type of person who's made sort of the best decision with the options in front of me at that time, and then just been open to opportunities as they arose. And the reason I sort of set the tone in that way is because I think it sort of will help make sense of 
this slightly non-traditional perhaps path that brought me here and sort of that I'm still still on. So immediately before property, uh, my previous career was in foreign intelligence. And I did that for about six years. Um, it was phenomenal. I you know, did some amazing work, worked with fantastically brilliant people. There was a lot of sense of mission, camaraderie, um, you know, some, doing something that's bigger than, than just the individual. And uh, it was hugely fulfilling. Um, but for personal reasons, aka my now husband, <laughs> um, I decided to leave that career behind um, and leave the States and move to the UK. So when I did that, uh, I'm a consummate nerd. I love school. I love learning. I, I never stop learning. And sort of my go-to move traditionally has been like, let me just go back to school or to study. So after leaving my, my sort of uh, intelligence career, I went to business school where I thought it made sense to help me gain some sort of hard credentials that would make me employable and um, in the private sector. And while I was in business school, I very, very quickly realized I didn't ever want to work for anybody again. I sort of knew that in my heart of hearts from the, from, you know, sort of a relatively young age. Um, I don't do well with orders or <laughs> being told by people what I can and can't or should or shouldn't do. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it sort of was this, con this sort of tug of war between, oh, well, you know, go work for a big consultancy or a big bank or something, get another, you know, great name on your CV. And what I knew was going to be true for the long term, which is <clears throat> just start on a path that's my own. And so after sort of consulting with my partner and doing a bunch of uh, sort of mini experiments about what, what next, we both decided property would be the, the, the next, the, the best option um, um, for lots of different reasons. I think I spoke about this last time where it's just, you know, being able to have an impact, being able to uh, positively transform people's lives, having something tangible that you can point to and touch at the end of a hard day's work all of these sort of big and small things. But to be completely honest, when we got started in property, I knew for me, it's not true for him, but for me, it was actually going to be a means to an end. So for me, getting started in property was all about buying back my time, getting financial freedom, replacing my income, replacing my husband's income. So then I could decide what came next and not have the stress and the worry of like, oh, well, I can't afford to make a, a bold decision or, you know, being beholden to a job or anything else like that. And so that was sort of, um, you know, sort of the, when we got started in property, those were the goals was to buy back our time, to buy back our financial freedom. And then both of us could then explore, you know, what it was that we wanted to do from there. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, it's, there's so many different things I, I, I could dive into, but um, yeah. I think I, I think with some people, so we talk, I mean, I've, I've just finished reading Unscripted, for example, by MJ DeMarco. I don't know if you've read that particular book of his. His first book was A Millionaire Fast Lane, but um, he's very much a contrarian. And um, spoiler alert, the, the books basically are talking about the, the way out of the script, which or the matrix or off the mousetrap, you know, off the hamster wheel. Is, is to be your own boss and be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And it, it sounds like that has just been in you, um, certainly since, I don't know what the, the transition point was, because obviously you were, you were working in, in foreign intelligence, um, went into business school, and at some point, I guess there was something saying, hey, I don't know if I want to work for a boss anymore. Um, yeah. so it, it's an interesting path, isn't it? Because there are some people who, uh, in fact, a couple of people I've already interviewed on the this series, 
they had a career and they had a fairly lengthy career, probably 25 years plus, there or thereabouts, before they stepped out into going full-time in property. But you were relatively young and decided from an early stage, relatively early stage, Mm -hmm. that you were going to step out into that, not necessarily property initially, because you decided on property as being the the initial route, but you you were very much saying, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, which, um, <clears throat> for those who don't know what that is, that's just uh, one of your alter high identities, alter egos, isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. So yeah. I, I think that's interesting. So um, was, there, what, what, was there a transition between working, say, you had a career in foreign mm-hmm. intelligence, and then saying, actually, I don't want to necessarily go back and be an employee anymore, or even a consultant. I want to run mm-hmm. my, I want to be my own boss. What, were the, what was the thought process there? I think it was just the freedom, you know, and, and, and really it was that it was, it actually was two things. It was the freedom and the, and the desire to just make my own rules for myself, to be able to live on my terms and all that kind of stuff. But also it was, I guess, sort of the, the alpha part of me really wanted to see what I was made of, you know, and to see if I could hack it, if I could do, if I could set what at the time felt like a really audacious goal and actually do it. And prove to myself that, yeah, actually, you know, this is something that I can do. Um, so there are two sides of it. But, yeah, I think a lot of it really was, it came down to just not wanting to have anybody be able to tell me what to do. <laughs> Dropping my pen there. That's uh, okay. And, and proving to yourself. I mean, that's interesting. I, I mean, we already got this, really, from the first time we spoke. And, and I was just, you know, amazed, really, about what an inspiration, actually, you are for um, the property community overall. So I think that's that's good. But I think stepping out and making the decision, it was a joint decision with your husband, obviously. Yep. So how did that conversation go? It was actually pretty straightforward. Uh, he's He's like... I don't want to say he's like me, but we share some very um, fundamental values in common. Integrity, independence, you know, equality, sort of that kind of thing. And he... He's not one, I'm much more of a, a leap before you look type of person and, and very, yeah, a bit, um, not impulsive, but I, I just, I'm more of an action. I just, I do more than sometimes I think uh, he might in the same situation, whereas he's a very considered and very thoughtful and very, you know, let me t- like make sure that I fully understand as much as possible without going into analysis paralysis, but I want to fully understand something before I, I, you know, decide which way to move. And it really was just a series of conversations. Um, to be honest, he had started going down sort of exploring, uh, alter, uh, you know, additional streams of income anyway, after we got together, because there was this, um, assumption at the time that as and when we did get together and get married, uh, we would eventually move back to the States. And so he too was thinking about, okay, well, you know, in the absence of me having my career here in the UK, when we move, if we did move to the States, what would I be able to do to, you know, to, to keep myself occupied <laughs> and to, to earn a living kind of thing. And so it was, it was a lot of just sort of a bit of, yeah, a bit of sort of forecasting about our, our lives and which directions they would go, um, how we would buy the independence that we wanted. Because again, that being a bi-continental family, 
whether we relocated to the States or we stayed here, you know, one of us was always going to be far away from our families. And again, didn't want to have the financial constraints or the time constraints about not being able to see them as often as we wanted and for as long as we wanted to. And so, yeah, it was, it was just a couple of conversations. Yeah, probably just a couple actually of conversations. Um, and we were on the same page and, you know, what we had agreed upon was, uh, that he would keep his day job while I focused full time on building the property business so that we had a bit of a safety net. We had, you know, we would be mortgageable. We would, you know, have all of those sort of um, the financial backstop that is required. But then one of us could really, really focus on the building and the growing and the foundations because it would have taken a lot longer otherwise. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So it's an interesting that you brought that back into the uh, into the conversation there about did you both go full time in property from day one? Clearly, you yeah, answered yeah. that question, which is your husband stayed working. And, yeah. Um, you just to dwell on that one second, then. So um, you know, a lot of people have a, a dream, let's say that, of um, being their own boss and stepping out. Maybe property is the vehicle. And yeah. um, okay, you, you, you're a husband and wife team. So um, by one of you, at least, you know, retaining um, a stable, you know, employment base, it gave some advantages and you alluded to them already, but just right. to sort of bring them out there, what you, why did you say that it, would, it allowed you to move quicker? Because some people would might think the opposite. Yeah. So I think the the quicker is that one of us was able to focus a hundred percent on this. Whereas, and again, it's not to say you can't do it if you've got other demands on your time. It's just that it could potentially take a lot longer because you've got another full-time job or other, you know, things competing for that time. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think that was where, that was where this a lot of the speed came from. It doesn't mean that, you know, it took us half as long because I was working full-time in property and he was not. Um, but it, it, did, it did just mean that we were able to make progress and really just focus on, on one of us could focus on building what we wanted to build. But also, and this I, you know, so you alluded to Entrepreneur earlier. So Entrepreneur, for, for your listeners who don't know, is my community now that I founded for women founders in any industry, not just property. And one of the conversations that comes up a lot, both with people in property or outside of property, is this idea of like, oh, do I quit my job and just go, you know, guns blazing with with property investing or whatever? My answer is actually always no. You know, <laughs> it might sound a bit uh, controversial or counterintuitive, um, but you need a financial runway in order to survive. So what I say to people who are considering leaving their day jobs to pursue an entrepreneurial dream is to make sure they have a war chest, make sure they've got savings to cover their living expenses at least for a year, Mm -hmm. if not a little bit longer, because businesses, most businesses take five years before they break even and start to become profitable in property. Obviously, you know, it could, who knows how long it might take and your upfront costs are that much higher, but you know, I don't want to be selling people this naive dream of like, yeah, just give it, you know, throw everything to the wayside and just go full on. And, you know, it'll happen overnight kind of thing. Cause that's just, isn't, isn't the reality. And if you've got the stress of where's the rent coming from and payments going to, where am I going to get my food from? And how am I going to afford childcare or whatever it is, that is a huge distraction and a huge burden away from the energy and time you could be focusing on building a business. So make sure before you take that leap that you have some safety net, whether it's savings or a partner who's still working or a part-time job that you still work, but it's not this like, I'm going to cut everything and just, you know, sort of 
you know, jump into the into the precipice. Like you need to have a parachute before you do. Yeah, I mean, I so agree with you. I think it, sometimes you can read um, like the inspiring stories of the you know the entrepreneur who's become a billionaire, and yeah. you know you, they lived on a barge in the river, you know, <laughs> about, things like that, and they threw everything into their business. Um, but the thing with that, those stories, is um, there's a massive survivor bias. And mm-hmm. so you only hear about the guys who made it big and then they go, well, this is how I did it. So you do it the way I did it and it's going to work for you. But yeah. actually it misses all of the people who tried to do that and it didn't work. So exactly. I, I, like you, try to encourage people to have some kind of runway or mm-hmm. some kind of safety net. Uh, so whether that's a, a baseline income from employment or savings, as you say, for a, a reasonable period of time or multiple streams that you can you know, rely on, etc. They're there, it's sensible. And I think, you know, the whole one year thing seems to make sense to me and resonates with me. So that's good. I think when I guess so having made the decision that it's property, and then yeah. you would be the one to be full time and your husband mm-hmm. would be presumably part time or evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um what did you do next? What what how did you start? <laughs> A lot of a lot of busy work, <laughs> to be honest. So one thing we did do is, you know, we we um, we sort of got mentoring and we got training, right? We wanted to fast track things, so we signed up to, um, you know, a property program that took us through a 12, 12 months um, process of just getting smart about various strategies. It gave us a wonderful community to help us when we had specific questions or when we were, you know, when things go wrong and you feel like, oh my gosh, this is, everything is falling apart. It was sort of the mix of like having, you know, getting the content, getting the support, the community and helping with that, yeah, just sort of the mindset around success and what you need to do and who you need to become in order to, to start a business. So we had, we had that as far as like getting smart and being immersed in a community of other investors. And then we just, you know, again, I said it earlier, but we're both, my husband and I are both, you know, really analytical and we, we like information and we want to make sure that we know what we're doing before we try to do it. Um, and so, yeah, we learn as much as we could. And then again, without sort of going obsessively down this sort of, um, black hole of just constantly consuming information, we're like, okay, well, we still don't have any experience, but we know enough to be, to be, to start taking small baby steps. And so we just, got started, you know, and, and actually some of the, our first property that rental that we bought was before we had started any of, um, our mentoring or anything like that. And it was before it was actually while I was still in business school. Um, and we just thought, well, there's no better way to learn than learn by doing. And so we'll start small, relatively safe. It still felt terrifying and scary at the time. Um, but yeah, we just got started. I mean, you, at some point you have to stop learning and you have to stop doing, um, and, and start actually you know, experiencing what it is that you want to try to achieve. Yeah, very good. I mean, so just to kind of give us a bit of a, a reference on timing. So hmm. approximately how long ago was it when um, you sort of decided to go forward in property? How many how many years ago now was that? Eight years. Eight, eight years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when you bought that first property, eight years and one day? Uh, or eight yeah, years uh, minus one day? Eight years, probably eight years and a few months. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a few so, months. Yeah. After, yeah. 
Okay. It was it was re- it was relatively quick, but there was a lot of you know it's sort of hard to put a time on when it got started. There was a lot of sort of seed planting and conversation having that went into that point. But yeah, I would say sort of roughly you know a few months after we decided we're going to definitely do this full time, you know we we found something that seemed um, yeah it just seemed just enough of a bit of a stretch, for, but you know still relatively safe enough for us to just go go with it. Well, it's interesting. So you made a decision and relatively quickly you took action on, you know, on that decision, yeah. which is kind of the point I wanted to highlight, really. And then um, the learning and the training that you talked about in the one-year programme, um, yeah. how, 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 how long after that was did you decide to step into that? Uh, we So our first property we bought in April of 2012. And then I think we didn't start that programme until 2014, so about a year and a half later. Okay. And were there other properties that came along in between or, or was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were. There were a few that <clears throat> came and went and thankfully went. Um, uh, I also yeah. always tell people be thankful for the ones that get away. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we were always looking. But, you know, one of our biggest constraints was finances. Yeah. And there we literally, after having bought that first property, all we could afford, so which was just a small two-up, two-down Victorian terrace, all we had left of our personal funds that we could look at as investments, as potential investments, were flats, one-bedroom flats. And so that's what we were looking for. And we had one, I can't even remember now why it fell through. Um, uh, but yeah, we had one that had gone pretty far into the process of, of you know, completing, and then it, it fell through. And there was a long hiatus. So the next property we bought, rental property or investment property, wasn't until September. June of 2014, so over two years later. Uh, and presumably at that point, you were in the one-year program, were you? We were, yeah. So we were doing the training and the mentoring and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I, to be honest, I don't think it was the fact that we had started the training that got us that property, but it was more just that momentum that we had maintained over the previous two years of looking, of assessing, of developing relationships, all of that kind of stuff had finally come to fruition. Is that, is that why you said a lot of busy work? Yeah, I think, well, it was busy work in two senses. Two, one, it kept me busy, but two, it was, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was doing a lot of just activity that actually was going to lead nowhere, you know, and it was a lot of days. This is the thing with when you become your own boss that a lot of people struggle with, and I sure as heck did, is structuring your time. Because all of a sudden, you don't have those daily markers. You have to be in by this time and finish by this time. This is when you get a break. And this is when you get to, you know, all of those things that structure your day are gone. And you're doing it for yourself. And so, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, the task expands to fill the time allotted. And so, you know, I would spend all day just sort of meandering slowly between (laughs) research and agent phone calls and doing viewings and all this kind of nonsense. And there was... I mean, if you look at, if I, at that time, um, you know, looked at the actual sort of concentrated, sort of targeted, goal-focused work that I was doing, it was probably a lot less than I would have liked to think um, because I was just sort of all over the place. And, you know, I think, again, for my personality, that's, I need to go through that process before I impose a structure on myself and, and see what should go into that structure. Uh, but there was just a lot of like, I'll check my email or I'll go on Zoopla for a little while and see what happens. You know, there wasn't a like, this is what I'm going to do. And then this is what I'm going to do. It's just sort of be more, it was more reactive than proactive. Yeah. And I know you now, I didn't know you then, but I know, 
I know from what I know of you now that you don't just drift through your days and <laughs> you you know and you know you've learned a lot. In fact, you yeah. said you mentioned the phrase earlier, and I, I might not be quoting you directly, but you said it's what we become. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we can come back to that. I just want to sign yeah. that statement because I, I do know you today, and it yeah. sounds like the description of yourself, even that you're just you're portraying back in. 2012, 2014 might be slightly different. Let's say that. So approximately two properties in, what, 18 months or so? Yeah, about, yeah. Yeah. But I think things have picked up a bit quicker since then, haven't they? So what did you do? How did it expand? I think... I would say from 2015 to 2018, it was a much faster pickup. Um, And really, I think, like I said earlier, it was just a lot of the momentum was building up and the relationships and the seeds that we had been planting were starting to bear fruit. Um, Some of it was also confidence. So we started going for, you know, more things that previously felt uncomfortable. Now we'd had a bit of experience. They felt more comfortable. We also had access to more finances because again, in addition to the learning we make, we got from doing our first few deals on our own, we also were then able to have a bit of credibility to then go out to uh, just friends and family initially and to say, Hey, look, you know, we're out of our own funds, but we're still investing because it makes sense for all of these reasons. If you're interested in being an investor, let's have a chat kind of thing. And so it was a combination of like, okay, well, we started to find ways to get access to the funds we needed to invest. We had a bit of confidence and a bit of experience from the projects we'd done. And so all of that, plus all of the learning, the community, the support, the network, the contacts, all of those things, you know, it's, it starts to, to snowball. Um, and I would say those three years were sort of the peak of our, of our sort of what one might refer to our fast paced growth. Okay, and so just if you if it if it's all right with you, can you give us a mm. sense of the either the the quantities or whatever properties that happened in that three year period? So, um, I- so in the first two years, we did for, yeah. I would say in the first two years, we did two properties. Yeah. Um, actually, sorry, at the tail end of that second year, we got us our third property. So two years, three properties, and then in the subsequent <clears throat> three years, we did seventeen more. Seventeen. One seven. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. So that's quite a step change, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And what sort of strategies were you adopting? Because it sounds like at least the first one or perhaps two, I'm not sure about the third one, but mm-hmm. were more kind of buy-to-let style. Correct, uh, yeah. yeah. So we started out with, with single-lets and then we moved over to HMOs and then we moved over to conversions, um, so title split type projects and, and yeah. Uh, house to flat conversions um and and by that point as of sort of that 2018 marker when we had reached those that 20 those 20 properties we had also then reached the income point where we had replaced both my my income and my husband's income so he retired from his day job in june of 2018 oh brilliant yeah so that was um was that a clear just to, I, I pretty much know the answer but was that a clear goal to uh, to get to that point around about that sort of thing. yeah it was it definitely yeah. definitely was yeah but what what was also interesting you just sort of you you just talk so naturally and I'm just trying to restate what you said to kind of make sure everybody heard it but you said you had some single let buy to lets then you went to HMO and then you went to conversions yep. it's kind of it's a progression um, yeah perhaps in complexity um, yeah. would that be fair 
Yeah. And again, that was, that was always part of the plan. Um, because after, gosh, I mean, this is, it sounds silly to say it out loud sometimes, but after about like HMO number five or so, we just started to get bored, you know, and we're, it wasn't because, you know, obviously every project has its own challenges, its own unique personality or whatever you want to call it. But like from a, from a skills building perspective, we had plateaued, you know? And so we were like, we, we always knew that we wanted to do bigger, better, more challenging, more interesting, you know, that kind of stuff. And so from the beginning, we knew that there was going to be this sort of step, um, yeah, this sort of logical progression of steps that we would take, both again, to feel comfortable at every step and every level that we were pushing ourselves, but not to the breaking point, that we were taking calculated risks, that we were constantly learning and expanding and, and growing and pushing ourselves and not just sort of resting back and constantly rinse and repeating everything we had already done to date. So yeah, it was definitely very much part of the plan. And then the plan from there was, you know, once we had replaced both of our incomes, bought back our time, bought back our freedom, all of those kinds of things, then both of us could <clears throat> focus on what we're really passionate about. I, in the beginning, didn't know what that would be. Um, over the past eight years, I've really you know, come to understand that for me, it's training, mentoring, coaching, helping other entrepreneurs. Um, and for my husband, it's development. I mean, he's a property, he's properties in his blood through and through. And, and, and I mean that sort of not so genealogically, but just for him as an individual. Um, and so now our main focus, as far as our property business is concerned, is on just buying um, off-market new build opportunities. And, and he's been doing brilliantly with those. Yeah. Well, actually, that, I mean, it's worth just diving in. There's a couple of strands there, but it's worth diving right. into post-2018 when your husband was working and then able to work in the business full-time. Yeah. Um, yeah. He focused on development projects, mm -hmm. larger development projects by the sound of it. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Um, and, and so what made you choose that direction collectively? Yeah, I think it was, again, it was just in the next logical step. You know, we had done some conversions for, for which felt for us pretty big. Um, and we just thought, okay, well, if we can do sort of three units, why not five? Why not 15? You know, it doesn't get three to five times more complicated. It's just, um, you know, it, it, it's, but it is, a, it is a different set of skills, a different set of um, professionals that you have to work with and all that kind of stuff. So it, again, it was the logical next step. Um, but also because it would give us a lot more creative license, you know, to some extent to, to just really, because again, with conversions, you're sort of stuck with the fabric and the four walls. Whereas with new builds, I mean, you really can just do some fantastically beautiful things. And um, again, all credit to my partner, but he's, you know, he's found these, a couple of architects, this one, you know, these one set of architects in particular who just, I mean, you cannot help but gasp when you see their, their, their mock-ups, you know, and, and we had a, a really lovely little sort of um, interaction with a, a tree specialist who's consulting on one of our sites now. And he, you know, he's a tree specialist and, um, no, sorry, it was the heritage specialist, you know, who sort of works with listed buildings. And even he said, you know, the designs that the architect has come up with are just, yeah, they're just remarkable, you know? And so it's that sort of, that's the, like the emotional gratification, the, the almost sort of, yeah, I, I don't know how else to put it, but, you know, being able to have that much creative control and creative license to just do something truly breathtaking is, is really nice. And, and was there an element also that perhaps you were both free, more free to, 
to take what might be, you know, because larger projects, they take longer time. They, they perhaps yeah. carry more risk. So, um, you know, they're more complex and you need a different skill set and you need different people on the team, as you've already mentioned. Yeah. But you have this baseline of income. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's just, 100% it. Yeah. And that's why I say to people, you need to have your income sorted before you do anything else. You know, it's yeah. a recurring income that you have to get sorted because yeah, otherwise these would all still be very much pipe dreams. I mean, you, as you said, the, you know, developments are hugely time consuming are hugely expensive. You're adding one, sometimes two zeros to the end of everything, both costs and potential profit. Um, so the risks are just that much greater. And if you don't know where the food is going to, the money is going to come to put food on your table and you're taking on those kinds of risks. It's just for us, for our risk profile, it was just too much. Whereas, you know, yes, once we were able to have a recurring consistent stream of income that took care of all of the sort of the background considerations. So then we could focus on, yeah, on slightly higher risk, longer term projects. Yeah. And was that to develop to sell or develop to, to rent or a mixture? So I think at some point we'll probably develop to sell. Right now our, our, our focus is really on just getting planning permission and then selling it on with planning gain. Okay. So we can cycle out of those deals relatively quick, you know, sort of either buy new assets, you know, new rental properties with it, or maybe pay down mortgages so our cash flow goes up. But just to give us a few more options for those first for those first few in particular, I think, especially now given all of the uncertainties in the market. Um but yeah, I mean, the biggest uplift comes from, you know, the planning gain. And so that's, I think we're, we're both keen to, to make sure that we, yeah, we capitalize on that and then use that money to, to just rebalance our portfolio in other ways. Oh, that's interesting. So um, you're, you're kind of using your skills and expertise to get the planning uplift, but then rather than stepping into building out the developments, you're sending them on to other developers with planning approved. Exactly. Yep. And, and having... Yep working on some projects at the moment, you know, there's a lot of merit perhaps in looking at that. <laughs> there is more risk, obviously, in, yeah. in development, in building out. But, you know, yeah. being, not being able to go on site for 12 weeks is one of them um, yeah. right now. So I think that's an interesting um, angle. So you're going for the planning mm-hmm. uplift and, and capitalising on that. And as you say, yeah. re- rebalancing your existing portfolio, that that's in, that is interesting. So in terms of, just again, in terms of scale, so you'd got to about 20 yeah. properties around about 2018. Kind of fill fill, fill the gap in what happened between 2018 and 2020 then. what's uh... We actually sort of rationalized to to use sort of a fancy term, but we sold one of our properties, um, a couple of our rent to rents that we'd had from the beginning, we gave back um, uh, or packaged on and, and sold on to other investors. And I think our focus really is just on consolidating because I don't think either one of us got into the property game to be a landlord or landlady to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tenants. We just want to, you know, have quality over quantity and make sure that we're constantly reviewing how our, our assets are performing. So we've actually shrunk a bit. We went from 20, we're now down to 17. Um, and, uh, I'm, to be honest, our plan is in the, over the next 18 months to perhaps maybe shrink even a little bit more um, to just really tighten our business. Um, and, and yeah, and just free up the time, the energy, the sort of the mental capacity to, to do some of these bigger deals that we're doing. So yeah, over the past two years, it's really been actually, so that's been sort of on the rental portfolio side of things. On the uh, development side of things, the two years have really been invested in, in like I said, working with other great people and getting super smart about um, planning policy and the various councils that we're looking at. And then again, you know, my, my husband sort of has been coming up with uh, 
the, his whole process of identifying these off-market opportunities and then reaching out to, to sellers cold. And, um, you know, some of that, that takes a lot of time. You know, I would say, you know, we got started in earnest on doing these cold letters to these sites that he had identified back in, in June 2018 when he, when he joined us full-time in our business. And we didn't sign our first option agreement until maybe April of last year. So, you know, these things take quite a long time before you even sort of get close to a deal. So it's just been, it's been constantly progressing those things. And again, you know, getting really good at, at, you know, as I said, understanding local planning policies so that when we go in to put in a planning application, it's as close to a home run as you can possibly get. Understood. And so you, already we're into multiple income streams here, aren't we? So yeah. you've got the rental portfolio, then you've got the, the, the planning uplift side of things. We haven't even yeah. got to some of what you're doing, which, uh, yeah. which is more the training mentoring side as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think just to pause a little bit on the rationalization, because I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah. You said you rationalize in terms of numbers of properties, yeah. but you also kind of allude to maybe you're paying down a bit of debt as well. So was your equity mm-hmm. position actually going up? Slowly. I mean, it was never very, it's, we've never been overly leveraged. So I, you know, every year we sort of calculate across the portfolio what our average is. And I think at last sort of last December, it was like 65 or 67% loan to value average across the board. So we've got some properties where we've got like, you know, over 60% equity, other properties where we've got 25% equity. So it is a bit of a mix, but yeah, I think, you know what, we'd like to at some point to be, well, totally mortgage free, but we also want to be sensible about how you pay down. So it's always a priority of paying down the, the most expensive lending first. Um, and that tends to be from private investors and then, you know, sort of over making accelerated payments on, on some of the mortgages that are a bit higher. Okay. Yeah. I mean, very sensible. Um, then you could write out perhaps some of the rough times that inevitably yeah. will happen when we look at market cycles. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you, you've kind of touched on a little bit of working with, um, uh, at third parties, let's say that private investors, friends and family, uh, from the financial point of view. But you know, would you say that's contributed quite a lot to your growth over the over? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, I don't care how rich you are. At some point, you'll run out of your own money, unless yeah. you're, I mean, sort of, you know, nine, ten figure, sort of wealthy, whatever. But yeah, for most people, at some point, you will run out of your own funds, and 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 that, to be honest, let's let's be real about it. Like that is the biggest constraint. Properties are expensive, even, you know, regardless of where you live, they're still five, six figure investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and not ever, you know, most people don't have multiple millions just sat there in the bank doing nothing waiting for them to invest in. So yeah, I mean, we, we found that we had to start working with investors, private investors relatively early on. Yeah. Would you mind, I mean, I, I don't know if you're comfortable, but would you mind sharing any order of magnitude in terms of funds or, or numbers of people you've worked with, whatever you're comfortable in sharing, really? Gosh, so we've worked... Probably, I mean, it's over 20, the number of private investors we've, we've worked with. Uh, I would say the bulk of them, maybe 60% are maybe, yeah, I would say 60, maybe 65% of them are, are family members. Um, the, the remainder are either close friends or investors we've developed relationships with over the past few years. Um, I can't tell you, I think sort of over time, um, not all at once, but over time, we've probably borrowed close to 3 million and then, you know, paid back various parts of it. Um, and then just as far as sort of the range of investment, I think the lowest investment 
we've got with us at the moment is a 15,000 pound investment. And then the biggest one is 250,000 pounds. So quite a range, but I would say most of them tend to be 50K plus. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that. Um, you hmm. know, put you on the spot a bit. I was trying to make sure that you're comfortable sharing the numbers. Yeah, uh, of course, yeah. But um, it's it's really interesting because a lot of people, it's a holy grail, okay? Isn't it? It's holy grail, working with private investors, joint venture partners, whatever your language you want to use. But you've just said some really interesting things there about, you know, the, the, the majority at least were, well, probably sounds to me like- Still are. The vast majority are very close to you in some yep. way, even friends, family, yep. or people you become closer to. Yeah. And so you've not gone out and, you know, tapped up a load of people randomly in a, in a, in a coffee shop and they've given you, you know, a million pounds to invest in your portfolio, basically. No. Yeah, no. And I think, for, to be honest, again, well, I, I spoke to, uh, to your mastermind group about this a few weeks ago, but for us, the relationships are so, so key. We don't want just dumb money. You know, we don't necessarily need active investors in every investment, but like, we want to know the people we're working with. We want to know that our values are the same, that our standards are the same. And yes, even though they are passive investors, we want to make sure we like them you know, and that they <laughs> like us and that, and that there's some sort of a, yeah, mutuality there. And so, yeah, we have some investors who we aren't friends and family and, but we got to know them for at a minimum a year plus before we took a penny of their money because for, for both sides, it just makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that even more, but um, probably can't today. But the I just wanted to ask, because you, you've got so many really um, positive things about your business. Another thing you shared with our mastermind group, yeah. if you don't mind, you talked about the um, the direct-to-vendor sort of letters that you, you were sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you uh, the statistics in terms of the response rates, et cetera, you had there were, were amazing to me. Well, yeah. At a global level, could you just say what that was? Yeah. So I, I don't have my whiteboard in front of me uh, in this room, but I think, uh, and again, this is all credit to my partner. I've had zero role in this, um, this sort of success aside from sort of a bit, you know, refining things on the margins. Um, I think just this year, so not even tallying what he's been doing over the past two years, but just uh, calendar year. So January to July or June, sorry, for the first six months of 2020, he sent out gosh, close to 550 um, cold letters and had about 300-something responses. Um, so, and look, not all of them have been like, yeah, I want to sell this to you. Some have been, please don't contact me again, or I'm not interested, or uh, yeah, tell me how much you're going to give me over the phone and then maybe we can talk. So, you know, I would say sort of whittling that down, um, sort of the real... Uh, the real sites that have some potential for a longer conversation and a negotiation are probably maybe 30 or so, uh, you know, so 10% of the responses, but, but yeah, I mean, he's getting really, really good response. Yeah, was, a good response rate. Uh, I thought it was impressive. Um, to be honest, I get some of those letters, not from you, um, yeah. but I get some of those letters and they go, they go in one place. So, uh, <laughs> which is a circular thing, which is to my left. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you don't get a response. So that was impressive. So you're obviously doing something. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. But now I'm very conscious that you talked about freedom and then be able to do what you wanted to do. So mm. um, we've spoken a lot about property and, and you said it was a means to an end um, mm. for you personally. So mm. wh where are you now? What are you doing? What has property enabled you to do? And what, what are you active and very interested yeah. in? Yeah. So I think, to be honest, at my core, I'm a teacher. 
Um, and I say that because everything I've done in my life and, you know, sort of reflecting very carefully on the things where I felt most in my flow or most happy or whatever is I love to learn and then I love to share. And for me, the main outlets for doing that learning and sharing have tended to be sort of, you know, presenting um, at seminars or at events or whatever else like that, or writing. And writing for me is just, it's, it's, it's a deeply sort of uh, soul broadening experience. Um, so what I have started doing, and again, it just, this wasn't part of the plan, but it, it unfolded over these past few years through trial and error and through just sort of starting to tune in a bit more to what I care about and what I, what I love. Um, and so, yeah, so I started doing some training and coaching, um, just for people in property. And then about a year and a half ago, is that right? Yeah. Maybe just over a year and a half ago, I started this um, other community called Entrepreneura, which is to focus on helping more women founders become, you know, sort of six-figure-plus uh, business successes for themselves in any industry, not just property. Um, and that's that. That for me is the main focus moving forward: is just sort of, you know, helping more, more and more founders um, basically find and and explore their own potential for business and professional success. But of course, as we all know, none of these things that they're sort of ostensibly about business or success or, you know, profession, but they really are about sort of developing who you are and who you become along the way. And, um, and that's really where my focus is. And so, yeah, that's for, for me, to be honest, that is sort of the forever, forever project. Okay. That, that one won't stop the sound of it. I think, yeah. uh, being the teacher, I mean, um, I know you love to consume knowledge. You love to share knowledge and you've got a great writing style. I know that I can vouch for it. And, and so you, you build in this community. Um, mm -hmm. You're working with some property people, did you say? I am. I'm, you know, I'm starting to sort of wind down my property one-on-one uh, -on -one stuff. I think yeah. for me, I'm still exploring what is the right medium for my teaching. So what I'm mentally just sort of playing around with is um, doing a more uh, membership-based sort of thing for people in property. Um, and then for the non-property sort of just general, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, they can be in property, but I'm not, you know, for my entrepreneur community, um, I've got, you know, a little, uh, a small group boardroom. That's like a master, my small mastermind. And I'm also looking into, you know, again, what a membership site of some sort, you know, where people get resources and again, can come together online, would that be the right way forward? So I'm still sort of figuring out what, what's the best way to reach as many people as I can. Um, because I think for me, that's the other thing is like trying to have as much of a positive impact on as many people as possible. And, and just, yeah, exploring the way to do that most, um, most efficiently, I guess. Yeah. And it sounds to me like the, the property is provided the baseline. It, yeah. it seems to me you don't love it. You don't love property. Uh, <laughs> well, I do. I, I love, I love parts of it. <laughs> so I love, you know, like I said, I love the creativity. I love the transformation. I love all of that kind of stuff. You know, some of the day-to-day -day admin, we, we self-manage all of our properties. Um, and that's partly why I have been the driving force behind the rationalization <laughs> because, you know, it doesn't take a lot of my time, but it still takes a lot of, of energy, mm -hmm. uh, mental energy. Yeah. And so it's, again, it's just making sure that we are as lean and mean as possible on our personal expenses so we can 
live and survive on, you know, I mean, we make a good income from our property portfolio, but it's really just to sort of cut out all of the fluff in every way possible. So that way we don't have other distractions. We don't have other demands. We don't have big overheads as it were. Um, and really just make, give, giving us that freedom, that time, that headspace, whatever you want to call it to, to focus on what we really care about and to be able to explore it with a bit of, of, of leeway. Yeah, so sounds good. And and so just walk me through, I mean, not literally today, because we're in the middle of lockdown, but you know, what what does life, what does your lifestyle look like now? Just paint a, a sort of a picture of either a not necessarily daily routine, but you know, hmm. a, a typical, you know, you know, I say a week or month or a year in the life of, of RuPaul. What does it look yeah. like? Yeah. It's um it's a bit different, but I would say it's sort of the broad themes um that capture my attention on a regular basis are, um, so writing, I do a lot of writing for, you know, both the property community, um, but also for my entrepreneur community, uh, at some point in the not too distant future, as in like the next few weeks, I'm going to seriously sit down and actually start writing a book, which has been sort of, again, in the mental works for a while. Um, and then I would say my property portfolio, our rental portfolio, takes maybe about 10%, maybe 15% of my time. Um, the rest is really invested in, yeah, in building the entrepreneur community and mentoring and coaching and uh, in writing. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm sort of, and again, we've talked about this maybe just offline, but um, I have now become much more diligent about tracking my time. And so I would say on average, um, even when we didn't have our daughter at home with us, um, my working day was anywhere from four to six hours. Um, but that's, you know, sort of concentrated working time, um, and then family time. And, um, I think that's sort of been pretty consistent. Obviously there are sort of, there are, you know, peaks and troughs in that. And sometimes it's a 12 hour day and other times it's, you know, a 20 minute day because of other things going on. Uh, but yeah, most of my time is on, yeah, I would say if I had to sort of you know, give you percentages, I would say about 15% on managing our portfolio and then the rest sort of the 85% on, you know, various coaching and training and writing activities. Yeah. Which is, a, which is still, um, it's, it's what you're doing, but it's active, right? You're writing yeah. and you're working on portfolio and you're working in your community with the entrepreneur yeah. community and property community. Yeah. And, and outside of that, you mentioned your daughter, for example, but yeah. do you, do you sort of, uh, do you stay in one place or do you perhaps move around? Do you take holiday? You know, how does that, work with your lifestyle? We used to take holidays. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, one of the big lifestyle uh, goals that my husband and I have both, I mean, we're both world travelers. I mean, we've both lived in multiple countries for multiple years, uh, him mostly in the Middle East, me sort of a bit between the Middle East, South America, um, and Europe. And uh, yeah, we would love to travel more, I think, with young kids. So we've got a three-year-old daughter, and then I'm currently pregnant. So, um, you know, with super young kids, it's a bit tricky but um no we love to travel and in normal times we would at least go to the states you know about three to four times a year to see my family and then maybe have one or sort of one or two sort of smaller holidays in europe um you know just to sort of see something different and, and get our daughter out and about and um yeah so that's sort of one of our lifestyle goals is to just is to really just see more of the world and not you know not so we can start ticking things off our list kind of thing but you know we're both we both we both love to travel and we love people and we're fascinated by the endless sort of differences but also commonalities between communities and people and food is a big thing too for me so i'd love to 
um, yeah, just love to sort of broaden my daughter's horizons. I don't want any, I don't want my kids in any way to be sort of live in any form of a bubble. Um, so when travel is, <laughs> is, is possible again, uh, it's definitely going to be back on the agenda, high on the agenda. I'm looking forward to that day too. But um, yes. just maybe thinking about you just drawing some conclusions, I suppose. And um, yeah. you, you talked about what you become. Um, just to bring us back to that thought. And, and I was just wondering if uh, things that you've learned along the way that perhaps you could impart from, you know, in, in the form of wisdom to, to mm-hmm. others who might be either at the beginning or just part way down that track. Um, I know you've got a lot of wisdom and a lot of learning. You know, what, what did you pick up along the way? What did you become? What tips or advice might you give to, to those listening right now? It's funny because as I'm thinking about the answers, I'm literally getting chills. Uh, I think I could really distill it into two. The first one is, if you don't write it down, it won't get done. And, you know, I never, as I said, I was much more of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. Um, And literally, it was actually through our property business that I started planning my year, my life, my targets, my goals. You know, I'm I'm by, by, by disposition, I'm a much more intuitive person generally. So I don't really feel as much of a need to write things down. I sort of know or can feel when certain things need working on or addressing or focus or whatever. But it wasn't until I started really sitting down and thinking about what do I care about? What do I want to accomplish? How am I going to do it? That it actually started to happen. And I know, you know, this comes up so often in whatever books about habits or performance or whatever it is, but it's like, the set there is literal magic in putting it down on paper and i cannot tell i can tell you without exception anything i've written down and then made a plan and executed on the plan has happened i mean literally everything and it might not have happened in the time that i wanted it to or in you know in the exact way but it's happened yeah. and if i had it left it if i had left it all just to my memory and my intuition something would have gotten lost you know and so this isn't to sort of overburden ourselves with endless goals or to-do lists or whatever. But for me, I sort of every year just focus on between three and five, just big things that I really care about. Some are personal, some are professional, some are physical or health related, whatever it is, but, you know, keep it relatively simple because that's what your life is made of. And I think, you know, we can lose sight of it in the day-to-day routine or rut, whatever you want to call it. But until you write it down and then come up with a plan to to, to get there, it, it just won't happen. So that's one. And then the second thing is accept who you are and really, really, really get to know who that person is. And the reason I say it's, it's a combination of the, the, the knowing, but, and also the acceptance is because if I, you know, it was only over you know, maybe the past five years or so that I've started doing a lot more of these reflective exercises for myself what do I care about? What, is, what makes me happy? When do I feel I'm in my flow? All of you know these things that we were talking about. And for the longest, I would struggle between like, oh, you know, I'm so happy when I'm doing X. So when I'm in front of a room or when I'm writing, you know, that is me in my zone. But I, because it came easily or because it gave me so much joy or because it felt natural, I would almost dismiss it and devalue it. And I think once I started to accept that actually those are my superpowers and not everybody can do them, not everybody likes them, not everybody can do it well, it, it's really changed a lot of how I approach my work. And it's it's made me much more conscious of 
just doubling down on my strengths, amplifying them, finding ways to work them into more of my day-to-day reality instead of always feeling like, oh, well, it comes easy to me, so it's not worth it. Um, And to be honest, a lot of what I'm building now with my entrepreneurial community was a process of that, was the result of that process of reflection of like, you know, the themes in my life when I look at them was, you know, this element of teaching that, you know, I've talked about before, about creating community, about building community, about understanding people, about wanting to connect people and have, and and being able to help them improve their lives in some meaningful way. Um, But, you know, you just sort of do these things naturally or whatever your own superpowers you do naturally. And you don't really think of it as, as anything other than who you are. But sort of once I started really paying attention to me and to what is important to me and, and what I'm good at, it's just helped. It's just helped me be a lot more. I don't want to sound overly sort of woo woo about this, but like, just help me feel happier and a bit more content, you know, that like, I can just, be me. And, and, you know, again, not everybody has the same skills Not everybody has, um, has whatever talents, you know, that I have or anybody has or whatever. And it's just, just to not, to not always try to do something just because, or to work on something just because you're not good at it. You know, it's that whole idea of like, oh, well, if you're bad at something, work on your deficiencies. Well, I've started to flip it on its head and think, well, actually, why don't I just focus on what I'm really good at and let the rest of it go, you know, to the, to the extent that you realistically can. Yeah, I mean, so much there, really important, I think. And, you know, I love the superpowers. Um, <laughs> focus on what you're good at and don't necessarily worry about what you're not so good at. You can plug your gaps. You can bring people around you. Um, exactly. You can do all that sort of stuff. So there's a sort of release, isn't there, once you really mm-hmm. uncover your true identity, your strengths, and, and double down, as you say, on them. Um, yep. And I'm really glad you said that, you know, write it down and kind of make a plan because... Uh, <laughs> about that quite a lot with people <laughs> so yeah some people resist that but um it, it's um, i was one of them yeah okay and but equally rupa you said something really important there which was that um you know you've got your own unique strengths and character and identity my my interpretation of some of what you said so not everybody could be exactly like you mm-hmm. but perhaps they could you know resonate a little bit with the path that you've taken and I just wanted to say, it's, you know, thanks so much for sharing, for being so open with, uh, I don't know if you hear that plane going over, but uh, yeah. okay, good. I, did, uh, I can hear it. Never mind. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you sharing and being so open about things. Um, and perhaps thinking about just wrapping up shortly. Um, one thing I'd like maybe, uh, well, maybe I'd like, but maybe people listening would like is if you, if you want to, how people could connect with you and what sure. you're because I know you've got more than one brand, maybe you want to mention. Yeah. And there's that. And if yeah. there's any parting thoughts or um, anything I've missed out that you think really we should talk about um, before we conclude, would that be okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with me for property, um, you can just get in touch via our, our website and email. Um, it's just www.blueinfinityproperty.com. Um, if you're a woman in property or in a non-property business, um, the entrepreneur community that Richard so kindly mentioned earlier on is for, for women founders only. And that's E-N-T-R-E-P-E-N-O-R-A.co.uk. So entrepreneur, as in the name, Nora, entrepreneur.co.uk. Um, and I am still very much, um, you know, responding to any communications or emails that people send me either through our property website or through the entrepreneurial website. So do get in touch with us at 
in either way. Um, and then as far as parting thoughts, I guess, this is sort of going to be an extension of what, um, well, I guess part of the theme of this was, or some of what we talked about earlier was having multiple streams of income. I think the other thing to appreciate is that many of us, if not all of us, are, you know, what one entrepreneur I know refers to as multi-passionate. And so, yes, you have to have a focus for a little while, or at least something that brings in, again, the money to pay the rent, to buy your food, to all that good stuff to cover the basics. But it's okay if you like more than one thing, and it's okay if you pursue more than one thing. And, and as long as you are doing it responsibly and you're, you know, sort of taking care of yourselves, your families, whatever. But, you know, I don't think that there's, uh, with again, with some exception, I think most people aren't just one thing. And there are many different aspects of ourselves that we can bring to the forefront that will lead to different businesses or different types of businesses. And so, you know, just because you think you're something or you're told you're something, just give yourself a bit of room to explore that, you know. And, and I actually meet a bunch of people in property who, as we sort of go through our time together, they don't actually want to be in property, you know. They went to a seminar or that's in their family and and they just feel that they should do it or it's, it's the, you know, it's the hot new thing to do. But like, you can still listen to a property podcast, but not actually want to do it, you know, and that's okay too. And so I guess really just tune into what is important to you, what's important to your life, what interests you have, and just explore them again, responsibly and carefully and all of those things. But um, yeah, we're, none of us is just one thing. So, you know, give yourself permission to explore. Yeah, I so agree with that. I mean, I, I think um, it, there are some people where they just need to focus and, and, and be that one person, but equally, like yeah. we're all different. And I, I yeah. use the phrase uh, portfolio people. Um, mm. Yeah, I like that. Multi-passionate people, you, you, you're yeah. multi-passionate. So I think portfolio people, you know, those people who just feel that they, they like variety, they get stimulated mm. by being involved in different projects, perhaps. Yeah. Um, multi-passionate yeah. portfolio people. So that That's sounds good. like a, a great way to win. I'd love to dive into more conversation. We could talk about human design and things like that, you know. Mm. Um, getting to know each other but maybe we'll part that for another conversation and we'll take it sounds off sounds good to me but thank, thank you so much rupal as ever really appreciate you sharing i'm sure people are going to get a lot of benefit and merit out of listening to your uh, inspiring share today appreciate it thank you richard always happy to be here you're welcome great stuff talk soon well there you go hopefully you enjoyed that um i certainly did uh, i know rupal quite well now we've you've probably seen if you listen to the podcast a couple of times now you've you'd have heard her voice uh, if not seen her and so on some of the videos that we did together once or twice now and uh, i really connect with her i really enjoy spending time with her and uh, she's uh, she's great um as I'm, I'm sure you found out so she's gone full-time in property uh, along with her husband and they talked about, you know, the, the deliberate act, if you like, this means to an end of uh, starting in property as a means to an end so they could both do what they really wanted to do in life. And in RuPaul's case, ultimately, that wasn't necessarily property, although she really enjoys what she does. Um, it was a means to an end so that she could do exactly what she loves and some of the passions that she has. She loves writing, she loves training and mentoring and uh, particularly helping female founders now. But it was property that got her there. And indeed, her husband, who enjoys, you know, getting into the development side of things. And so they've, uh, they've really made a business of this. They've become their own bosses, which was deliberate. Um, as I say, it's a means to an end. They followed this uh, meandering path, but with a deliberate end game. And um, some key takeaways, you know, having a runway before you just dive right in and going full-time with property. Just want to stress that. 
the idea of having, you know, being busy uh, with what they were doing um, before they kind of knuckled down and, and really momentum kicked in. I think that the first first couple of properties took a couple of years really to to land, and then they grew quite uh, rapidly after that. The key drivers being momentum, confidence, uh, access to finances, including private finance, and the snowball effect, I guess. And they've grown from uh, single lets into uh, larger projects, uh, HMOs, and indeed development projects over time, which they saw as the, the logical progression. As I mentioned, Rupal describes herself as multi-passionate, or I would describe as being a portfolio person and having many, many different interests. So that, uh, that you know, is great if you have lots of different things that you're interested in. It property enables you, perhaps, to experiment in that area and to dabble a little bit. I would suggest focusing for a time uh, and, and solidifying, embedding things in before you dabble too much, but it does allow that, I can vouch for. And I think her parting comments were the, the two lessons, if you like. One is, if it isn't written down, it won't get done. So that's all about having a written or documented plan. Uh, yes, it's going to change, but have it written down in the first place. Have documented goals. You've got something to aim at and something to strive for. And then I, I thought this was really interesting, her second point about accepting who you are and, and, and getting to know what your superpower is. Do you know what your superpower is? Yeah. So there's ways and means you can uh, discover that. In fact, actually, if you want to know how you can do a profile to discover your strengths, uh, your wealth profile, uh, just drop me a note. Um, I've got a, a very simple tool for a strategy, property strategy profile. Drop me a note on that and I'll share that with you. But that, that's not going to tell you too much. It just give you an idea of some of the property strategies that you can follow. But if you want to delve a bit deeper into maybe the psychometrics uh, behind your personality, which might give you a direction about your superpower, drop me a line and I'll maybe put you in touch with someone who does a lot of work with me um, on in that sort of vein and I'll refer you and you can have a conversation and just uh, see where it leads to. But there you go. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, We've got another super, super powerful lady coming up next week. So don't um, don't miss that one. That's going to be great fun too. But uh, I'm going to draw a line there and say thanks for joining me this week. The uh, show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And um, if you want to talk about anything from today's show, or if you want to connect with RuPaul, just drop me an, e an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be delighted to hear from you. But all that remains to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.